This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Ryan England. And as you probably know, I am super passionate about helping small businesses hire better people faster. Our proven process, the CoreFit hiring system, is something that no one else is doing in the marketplace right now. And it's one of the biggest reasons that it works so well. People always ask me, what's the best part of our system? What is it about our system that makes it so different? And it's a combination of using the right tools well and putting in a process that your team can manage for you. One of those tools that I'm actually going to call this the cornerstone tool of our system is the applicant tracking system. And I am so excited about today's guest because he is the founder of one of the most popular applicant tracking systems out there for small business owners. Super excited for you to hear from him, learn about this amazing tool and some ways that you can think differently if you're struggling to hire better people. Ryan Kohler with Applicant Pro, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ryan. So as I said, we could probably geek out on this for a lot because I do believe that the applicant tracking system is so critical to managing a good recruiting pipeline, especially for those busy small business owners. You know, those ones that wear 27 different hats and that recruiting hat is the one they dread putting on every single day. It's the last thing they want to do. One of the things that I want to know real quick, what do you believe is one of the biggest myths about recruiting right now? Seems to be the number one issue in America. Everybody's saying that there's a hiring shortage and the great resignation and all these other things. What do you think is the biggest myth that people are talking about? Oh, man. I mean, clearly the the entire concept that there's a shortage, that there are no applicants, that nobody wants work. I'll tell you the number one myth, the government is paying people not to work. That that's the reason why there aren't applicants, because the government's paying people not to work. That one by far, number one myth. Most importantly, because even if it's true, there's nothing you can do to solve from that if it was true. Like anything that is a a boogeyman, a big outside influence, we're giving up our power. Imagine if somebody is like, there's a great lead shortage. There's a shortage of leads. If your marketer came to you and said, yeah, dude, there's just a shortage of people looking for our service, you'd fire that person. (laughs) If it was real, you'd shut down your company. Because if there was a shortage of leads... We would throw money at it and resources and creativity to solve because we know that that's all that matters. If we can't solve that problem, we're, we're screwed. But yet HR or an accountant or just a random person says there's a shortage of applicants. We throw up our hands and walk away and don't even try to solve the problem. And that's really where America's at by and large is very few companies are trying to solve the problem. They've accepted that it's out of their control. Mm. And that's where we're at. And everything is a boogeyman, whether it used to be unemployment's 3%. That's why we can't get enough workers. Or immigration laws are being put in place, and that's why we can't get enough workers. Or there's a talent shortage. All those things could totally be true. But talking about them doesn't actually do anything because it doesn't lead to action, which was what you set up. We need stuff that leads to action. Yeah. Talking about the talent shortage doesn't lead to action. It's really easy to blame others and to put your hand on your forehead and play the victim. Oh, yeah. When I first started doing this, I was researching a ton about this labor shortage as perceived. I found an article from 1962 
talking about the labor shortage in 1962. And if there weren't massive reform, we were going to have a labor shortage. And at the time they were talking about typists, like typing on key, on typewriters. There was a labor shortage there. This isn't new. We just find different things to blame it on. Yeah. And I think there's actually one of my top five books is The Obstacle is Away. So I'm a big stoic. Anything stoic from Ryan Holiday is going to be what I'm after. And Obstacle is Away is one of those books that transformed me as a business owner where I'm like, all right, there's the story in there of the king that hid a, a little bag of gold under a giant rock that he stuck in the middle of the road. And he sat back and he was watching what the pounds people would do. And some of them came and complained and turned away. Some of them like complained and worked their way around. And one peasant came, left, came back with a lever, lifted the stone out of the way and found the pot of gold. And the theory is that while there are obstacles and it sucks and it's hard and you like you have to work around them, if you're the person in the marketplace that figures out how to make that obstacle or overcoming it your superpower, you suddenly have a competitive advantage for all the people that are like, ah, oh, it's so hard to get customers and they do just enough to solve for it. Well, those guys are okay. But the person who's like, I will be the plumber, that lead generation is my superpower. That guy has a competitive advantage. And most of it comes to being willing to lean into the problem and say, no, no, I'm not just going to solve this for today. I'm going to solve this for going forward. I'm going to create a better system. I'm going to create a better approach. I'm going to do it differently than everybody else. And that is usually where the superpower comes in. I will always, I'm a contrarian. You get a pool of water and the fish are going one way. I'm going to go the opposite way, prove to you how the, the opposite of a good idea can also be a good idea, that it can work. And so that one right there, if you think about though labor shortage concept, we will get to the point of a labor shortage until we bring technology to solve it. If it really is big enough, then you will see technology coming to play to solve the problem. Therefore, you know this is business owner. It's really easy. If I have a labor shortage and there literally are no applicants for my job, if I can't solve that problem, then I better figure out how to make my employees be more efficient using tech, changing the job roles, changing the structure, because those are my only two options. Either I figure out how to carve out and pull the talent I need from the, from the crowd that's out there by out-competing, or I better figure out how to make my employees the most efficient possible. And those are the only two answers. And you look through history, each time there'll be a shortage and then technology will come in to make the workers more effective or it wasn't a real shortage. And therefore the businesses were just complaining. My personal opinion, I don't think that America's employers are in enough pain yet to solve it using either one of those because technology costs money and it requires change <laughs> and nobody likes to change. And on the other side, process improvement and efficiencies and holding your people accountable. Like when the economy is doing well and business is just coming in and it's just, you're dumb, fat and happy. It's really easy to ignore all these inefficiencies that we've created in our businesses. And so again, requires change and there has to be enough pain for people to want to make that change. Yeah. And I think you're totally right. I would just add one concept to it. I don't know that the change where the American companies aren't seeing enough pain to spend the money. I even think the whole technology costs money is a misnomer. I think what it is, is we haven't reached enough pain where we as companies will reevaluate our approach, our paradigm. When you reevaluate the paradigm of how things are done, 
that's normally where this obstacle becomes a superpower. So like we were talking before we started recording about restaurants, there is a concept, a given paradigm that is best practice of people walk into the restaurant and they wait in line and they engage a real live human there. And it's our first interaction and the businesses set the stage where that's going to be how they build this relationship. But it's also the biggest choke point for ordering food is that one point. And so if you think about it, everybody's complaining there's not enough workers to do that job. But I can tell you as a consumer, I actually don't want that job done. I would actually rather order with an app, even if I'm still sitting in your location. But if you make that pitch to the restaurant owners, they may say, no, no, that costs too much money. But in all honesty, it's that option is off the table because it doesn't fit our current paradigm. This is how it's done. It's how everybody's doing it. This is like herd mentality. We assume if it was a valid solution, lots of other people before us would do it because we're not that smart and they're smarter. But in actuality, (laughs) what it is, is there's no data that says it will work. There's a book I've been reading. It's basically like we've traded out all the magicians and witch doctors for economists and engineers. And what it did was it meant we no longer believe in magical solutions. We only do things that have been proven to work. What happens when new ideas haven't been proven yet? Yeah. They don't get adopted. In the blue collar world, if we follow what everybody's doing, we're leaving off the table the new stuff. In the tech world, we crave being first. So we try new stuff, even if we know it'll break just to do something new. But that is by far the money is will pay back in technology. It always pays back. But nobody can build you tech that goes against the given paradigm if you're not willing to get outside of your paradigm and say, but maybe there's a different way to service plumbing customers. Maybe there's a different way to do some of this stuff. COVID forced parts of that, but why wait for COVID? As a business owner, if you want to beat your competition, having a different paradigm than everybody else is the number one starting point that opens up the door to all kinds of new ideas. Yeah, it's changing the way they think about it, their mindset, their approach. You know, you mentioned restaurants and I know you mentioned more of the fast food quick serve model, but even sit down restaurants now, that has changed because you're no longer have someone who's there to take a food order and deliver the food and refill cups. Now they've got to be the mask police, the vaccine police. They've got to be these enforcers now. And that's not what servers are accustomed to doing. And so you're seeing this mass exodus of servers leaving the restaurant industry because that's not why I get into this. It's like a fight with people. <laughs> it's like a kick them out of the restaurant. I want to serve people. Right. And it's not just that that's driving them out. There's also something pulling them away. During COVID, during COVID we, we laid off all these restaurant workers And we thought they were just sitting around getting paid by the government. It was easy to hear that story and believe it. In actuality, unemployment of teenagers, which is 16 to 25-year-olds, dropped back down to almost normal within four months. Mm. It was only a couple percentage points above normal come January when everybody opened back up. And they assumed all these people were sitting around not working. What actually happened was they went and drove for DoorDash. And they said, dude, this is a way better experience for me as an employee. I can pick when I want to work, how I want to work. I don't have to swap shifts. I can literally just clock out. All these McDonald's employees suddenly were getting tips. They didn't have to be not just the mask police. They didn't have to clean up the table. Yeah. They didn't have to do any of that. Like my DoorDash driver barely even talks to me. <laughs> they walk in, they drop the thing and they're out. Like 
it was a better experience for them. The restaurants are going to have a hard time bringing those people back because they're no longer desperate enough to do that job at that pay. Yeah. But if you think about how that paradigm, restaurants were forced to put a QR code on the table with their menu, but what percentage of them realize that if I'm staring at your menu, I most likely just want to order. Amazon has trained me. There should be an order button there, but it's not there. So now like, thanks for not printing menus and passing COVID that way. But as a consumer, you just threw me into a buying situation, but aren't letting me buy. Yeah. Instead, you're going to pay a labor person to come and and take the order when I literally want to just hit buy now and check out and be done. Yeah, I totally get it. I've always wondered why I can't do that. And we're starting to see it a little bit more, but it's definitely not being adopted at, at the level we need to. But you said something I want to dig into. And then I want to talk a little bit about the ATS and how this tool is so amazing for these business owners that just don't even know what one is. Like, I'm going to say majority of our listeners have no idea what I'm saying when I say ATS, but you mentioned something about the consumer's perspective, about thinking about what the consumer wants. And I think that one of the things Applicant Pro has done really well is said, you know what? Recruiting is not a situation where the employer gets to dictate and the employer just gets to do. We've got a job seeker out there. We've got to consider what they want. And I think you guys have done that. So if you could tell me a little bit about how you got started in Applicant Pro and what the tool is and how it works and why you guys are so different. Sure. So from the time I was about 10 years old, I wanted to be rich. And I started down this pathway. My parents both got sick within a year of each other. And this concept of being self-sufficient became a thing for me. And as I kind of tried different things and worked in small businesses and trying to find kind of my groove, I landed at a tech company where I was the accountant. Yeah. I have an accounting degree. (laughs) I have nothing like it. But I ended up at this tech company where I was able to see kind of what's going on and how to get into marketing. But at the same time, I owned a blue collar business. I owned a parking lot sweeping business. I had one employee. That's how much it would take to run the parking lot sweeper. And I had 20 employees during a given year. So do the math on that. I only have one employee at a time, but I went through 20 of them. Because I was asking them to go out at 3 a.m. all by themselves, sweep a parking lot, make sure it hit a certain quality level when most likely they didn't think their boss would ever see it. There's nobody to to QC it, to check it down. And so I went through tons and that was probably my first real hiring experience going, this sucks. Like, this is a lot of work. These guys are not like me. And this is our first takeaway. Like, I grew up on a farm. I wake up every morning to go milk the cows at 3 a.m. I was trained this a long time in my life and I own the business. So I care about that quality enough. Nobody needs to check my quality. Now, When we assume that an employee is just like us, and you'll hear this when you ask a blue collar business owner, hey, what's your PTO strategy? And they're like, I don't get paid when I'm not working. Why should they get paid? Because (laughs) they're the employee and you're the business owner. Yeah. When you sell your company, are they going to get the payout? No. Well, that's because you have a different role. And immediately what it does is we view the world through our lens of who we are. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's not how you like achieve kind of superstar status or competitive status. The very first thing they teach us product managers is you need to get in the mind of the customer. And you hear this, the customer's always right. And in marketing, you focus on your target customer because we aren't the buyer. 
Mm. A plumber is not the buyer of plumbing services because he would just do it himself. The buyer is actually somebody he can't really even understand. Somebody who isn't handy, somebody who doesn't do those things. So you immediately set the stage of, I am not like them. Therefore, I need to go figure out where they're at and what they're thinking and what they care about. And most people, you explain that and they're like, totally makes sense when it comes to marketing and selling to my customer. I'm not my customer. Yeah. But it then say, well, that's just the same thing as hiring. You're not the employee. What you would want in a job, you would never want to hire me as an employee. Literally. I took an assessment once at this trade show I was at and the person's like, nobody's ever going to give you a job. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You wouldn't want to hire me. But because of that, I wouldn't want to hire me. Therefore, I don't know what the people want that I want to hire. I'm going to have to go sit in their shoes. And there's this book. I read it when I was probably like five years in business. So I started, somebody asked me to build somebody like you. Some people who were selling assessments said, Hey, we have all these clients. We want you to build some hiring software. And I've been building like websites and web directories. And I have this part and I'm not even programming. I have a part-time mom who's a developer who works for me. I'm like, yeah, we can totally build some hiring software. We've never even logged into another applicant tracking system, which is what we were building. We're building a tool to track applicants, capture the application online, let the person, HR, a business owner, look at them, leave notes and stuff to the point of hire and running assessments or background checks along with it. I never even logged in and looked at one before. Mm. I didn't log in and look at one. I literally just unpacked the problem and started solving it. So, you know, that was 15 years ago. I started with, I was paying that employee $1,200 a month on salary, worked part-time for me. We ran for two years before we hit break-even. So the total investment was like 40 grand of the money I was making at a full-time job while I was side hacking and, and kind of running the side hustle to build it up to the point where I could quit. And so it literally was, luckily for me, the fact I was naive was actually my superpower. A lot of times business owners, especially in the blue collar space, they're technicians. They were sick of working for somebody. So they quit their job and started their own business. They're really, really great at whatever that service is that they're going to provide. It also means they're generally not great at marketing and sales and hiring and admin and accounting and HR and all those things because they were just the technician. While their superpower in their head might be that they're the expert, if they stick on that for too long, it's possible they become too blinded by the inside the, the ball game stuff because their customer isn't an expert. And so being naive can be a superpower just like being an expert is. And that's really where we were at was I didn't know any better. Like I didn't know what they were. this tracking software was supposed to look like. I didn't know it was supposed to take six months to set up a new client. I just assumed that if I could make it fast, it'd be fast. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to help with sourcing. You're not supposed to do that as an applicant tracking system. That's a job board function. Sometimes being naive lets you blast through the whole inside the box, out of the box thing. Because I just didn't have a box. I just would go wherever the problem would take me. Yeah, I hear you. When I got started in my marketing journey before I started doing all of the hiring and recruiting was I never worked for an agency. I never had done it someone else's way. 
So I just went out and solved the problem. So I totally resonate with your story. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners do too. One of the things I like to do is, is talk about some takeaways for our listeners. And I know that with an applicant tracking system, we could probably have a whole series of all the cool things that you could have in your business from automation to you know, pre-screening people and automatically eliminating people you don't want to talk to. And some of these really cool features, but it's a tool. The applicant tracking system is a tool. And just like any tool, you know, you give a hammer to my five-year-old and it's going to cost me money. You give a hammer to a master carpenter and it's going to make you a, a lot of money, right? It's still a tool and it's got to be used correctly. And I know you've got a couple of pointers or, or some tips for our listeners on how they can get the most out of not just an applicant tracking system, but their recruiting results. Could you share those with us? Yeah. So I like your piece about it being a tool. So let's actually apply it to something really easy to think about. It's just a funnel, right? It's just a funnel that you're going to stick in your truck's gas station, put gas in. You could have a fancy funnel. You'd have one of those ones that you can bend all over the place. Clearly, if there's holes in it, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. So you really, if you think about this, like it's a funnel, you're throwing gas in your truck. We have two core things that are the driver. Number one, the funnel's worthless if you have no gas, If you're not dumping more and more gas in the top of the funnel, you're never going to fill the truck up. You could buy the fanciest funnel on the face of the planet without gasoline. It does nothing to get the job done, which is to drive your truck. And so when we talk about hiring people, step one, sourcing, step two, screening and selection. If you don't have a big constant flow of applicants into the funnel, it doesn't matter how fancy of a funnel you have. There is no top activity. And so that is usually the very first part. And where we get messed up with this is we think it's all hiring. We can't start sourcing until we're ready to hire because we're going to have to put the money in that hire and that's a big investment. But when you split it in half like that, as a business owner, you should always be sourcing candidates for your most important jobs. That is a fairly cheap activity. You don't have to actually hire them. Just, you don't have to be ready to sell and fulfill the service for every lead you get. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you stop getting leads. When you have enough customers for the month, you don't shut off your website. Yeah. You don't shut off your Facebook. (laughs) You don't put up the close sign. Hey, don't come back today because we already have enough customers for the day. But when it comes to hiring, That's literally what we're doing. As soon as we are staffed up, we rip down all the help wanted signs. We pull our ads down. We shut off our career site. And we're just like, hey, until we're ready to hire again, like shut it all down. But that's not what has to happen. So that's number one. If you think about hiring, like you're running that funnel, you have to have stuff flowing in. Number two is funnels are constrained by two types of activities. One is, are you creating friction? like how much friction is being created. And two is how much like motivation, the positive of that. Think about this like it's Stephen Covey's emotional bank account. Mm -hmm. Once somebody applies, I'm either making deposits between me and this job seeker or taking withdrawals. So if I want to make a job seeker, go take some hour long test, that's a withdrawal. I better have made a deposit before that or they're not going to actually do it. And so each step of the way, we have this, industrial revolution mindset of like bread lines. You're just lucky I'm giving you a job. Being you, therefore, I'm the customer. That's not true anymore. And while you might say 
like you might feel justified in approaching it. You can be justified right out of business. The fact of the matter is the job seeker is the customer and you are the person that is selling them something. You're selling them the experience of working for you. Therefore, once you have that idea set in place, you're like, would I create friction or extra hurdles for my customers to jump through to pay me? (laughs) No. And if I did create those, I would assume it would mean I would get less customers. Well, when you create extra hurdles that job seekers have to jump through to get to you, you better have made a deposit and have this positive balance running or they just won't do it. And it's not evidence that like people these days don't want to work. It's not evidence that there's nobody to do my job. It's just simply evidence that you created friction without enough fuel to get them over the hump. Yeah. And we're not Google. If I was Google or Apple or Facebook, I could make you literally walk halfway across America to apply for a job with me because the value of getting that job is so high that anybody would do it. But I'm Ryan at Applicant Pro. Like, I'm a big deal inside of Eagle Mountain, Utah with a population of 50,000, but inside the Utah tech community, like I'm a nobody. So I can't act like I am somebody or people are going to think that I'm stupid. I'll be like, yeah, you know, whatever. That guy thinks he's all that. And that's where you're at as an employer, right? It's funny. No one can see this, but I'm just sitting here shaking my head up and down like, yep, yep, yep. You know, it's one of those things I always tell people when we're building out the recruiting funnel and we're building that for our clients. And I ask them, how long do you think you should wait before you reply to an applicant? Well, when I get to it, it's usually the answer. And when we run it, we just talked to somebody the other day. They wait three weeks because it just feels like that's the right number. They've got a firm that's helping them source and they batch them every three weeks. And I'm like, what would you say to your sales manager or someone on your sales team? If a lead came in and you're like, hey, that was a big lead. What happened to it? Ah, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks. You'd think they were crazy. But for some reason, it's okay to treat an applicant that way. And applicants, from what I'm told right now, it's a lot easier to get customers than it is to get employees. (laughs) So we need to flip the script and we need to start treating these people better. And I love what you said about giving them, you know, making enough deposits. We were talking to somebody and they're like, oh, we're not getting any applications. I'm like, let me look at your, your job ad. They were on one of the job boards. 37 questions just to apply. Like what, who's going to do that? And here's what we've done is these employers have conditioned job seekers. Like one of the things I talk about in a lot of my talks is that we have a responsibility as employers to fix this. We have conditioned job seekers to know that if they apply for us, there's probably a two out of three chance. They're never going to hear a thing. So what incentive do job seekers have to really spend time jumping through your hoops and filling out your full application? When they know that the majority of the time it's going to go into some deep, dark abyss and they're not going to hear anything anyways. Yeah. It just blows my mind that this is how we think about this. No, it's, it blows mine and yours mind as outsiders that are looking at it differently. Sure. And if you think about the product, the new idea adoption cycle, it's like a bell curve, but HR tends to skew on the skeptic side and that kind of pulls back or holds back the new creative thinking. But this is just handed down DNA from the Industrial Revolution. You go watch the Men That Built America series from the History Channel. And as an entrepreneur, you're like, I am not super excited that I came from a long line of monopolistic, aggressive entrepreneurs that like 
were just fine beating their employees down and beating them back. And then later in their life, took all their money and donated it to charity. And so their names are on all these buildings. And at their end of their life, it looks like they're great people. But during the initial phases of them going to market and creating monopolies, they were not nice to employees at all. They were just a cog in the wheel, just a tool and a resource. Just think about right off the bat, we call it a requisition. In bigger companies, HR has a manager fill out a requisition. Requisition, I'm trying to buy something. Yeah. That's what you do. But that's what a job requisition is. Here's my list of the features I want. And so that's the very first, like the very first takeaway from a paradigm standpoint. The ATS is a tool. It's just going to amplify your paradigm. So if an ATS or a job board is just a giant megaphone that cheerleaders use, if you want to really make sure that you have a good result, you better make sure you stick the right words in her mouth. Because whatever she's about ready to shout is going to be broadcast everywhere. And so that's really from a business owner standpoint where you have to start, which I think the first kind of trigger is to switch from what is it I'm looking for to who? That's always what I do with my clients is the very first thing I want to know. Cool. Who would you clone into this job? Do you have somebody right now that you love? And it's two sides. You love them doing the job and they love doing the job. (laughs) Those two things. And that's our very first concept is who. If you don't nail down the who, because then we can look at them and say, oh, well, I was thinking they had a bachelor's degree, but they don't. I was thinking when they started working for me that they had... 10 years of sales experience, but oh crap, they actually had none. Mm -hmm. And so that who that we then can validate against our assumptions of what we're looking for and what we're saying is, okay, I've identified my who. Now, what did that person look like when they started doing the job for me? And you, if you take that one simple exercise, 50% of all jobs out there are overstating the requirements. Therefore, the who's, the people they love doing the job now, would never apply for that job if they had to do it again. They're telling them not to apply. They're telling them, okay, you can apply, but we just won't interview you. We just won't select you. But even for me, when I started, so Applicant Pros now, like 220 or 230 employees, we're a tech company, yet we're 80% female and 70% part-time. When I first started, I was hiring these moms I still am returning to the workforce after having three or four kids. And now their kids were in elementary school. And so their job titles they were coming from is like piano teacher and swim club <laughs> admin person. And yeah. you know, no, almost none of them had any tech experience or had worked in the tech world. And so they'd never done a screen share with GoToMeeting as a good example, right? So clearly my ads didn't say that as I was pulling them in. But five years in, I went back and reviewed our current ads for those same jobs. And it's like experience sharing a screen on GoToMeeting, blah, blah, blah. They had taken set the requirements as being what that person had today, not when they started with us, Mm -hmm. which immediately brings down applicant flow to only people who've been doing the job for five years. Yeah. But those people aren't going to apply to that entry-level job and the entry-level pay. So over time, business owners will constantly have to fight increasing their requirements. Because while we would love to be constantly leveling up and you know, hiring better and better people, if we aren't also leveling up the experience of working for us, the pay, the benefits, all those kind of things, then we're setting the stage where we're just out of touch. And that, that's really where you end up. You're just out of touch. 
I tell people all the time, you know, hire for people that are going to feel like they belong and they have a sense of community at your work. I mean, Gallup talks about their employee engagement survey and the number one of the biggest predictors is whether or not you have a best friend at work as to whether or not someone's going to enjoy that. Where is that on the job at? It's not. And instead we have this laundry list of skills because there was one guy at one time who couldn't cut it and he didn't have that skill. So we added it to the list. And it's really about hiring people or or even just creating these job ads where it's what is the bare minimum, the things you can't or won't teach. That's it. If you can't or won't teach it, then don't put it on. I mean, put it on there because that's something you need to have. But it kills me all the time when like, oh, you got to know how to use this field management software. You're going to teach me how to use it anyways, because you're going to do it differently than the last guy. So why does that even matter? Or more importantly, if the entire industry is requiring that, then the entire industry is fighting over only the experienced candidates. And as a business owner, as the David, not the Goliath, If all the Goliaths are going to fight over the people who have experience doing that, the blue ocean of recruiting that I'm going to have to carve out is to pick a different problem. I actually have on this bracelet right here around my arm reminds me, choose my struggle. I'm going to choose the training struggle because the hiring struggle is really, really hard. I'll be the guy who trains them on that. Let's go solve that problem. That seems like an easy problem. Record some videos, set up a learning management system like Trainual or something like that. Done and done. Academy of mine, I have a web-based system for 50 bucks a month or some BS like that. And one day of recording that I could have it all built out. I've now solved the training problem. Now I can go hire people that everybody else would reject because they'd never used that before. They'd never done it before. And now I've got this blue ocean of people like nobody else is going after. Wow. But if we all target the same herd, we all target the same species, then we're walking away from the blue ocean, the diamonds in the rough is what we're really looking at. I hire people, not resumes. That was always my theme from the very beginning. I hire people. I want to know if you have the potential to do well at this job, not if you have the knowledge and skills, because I can backfill that. Yep. If somebody has the potential, if they fit my values, if they fit into my culture, the whole a friend at work thing, it really has to do with you don't know why your employees are working for you. Therefore, and most likely their reasons are very different than your reasons for showing up to work as the employer. You don't know why they work for you, number one. Number two, your ads don't to tell people like them that story of why these people work for you. And the core principle that I've been testing in the last six months that's finally rang home is think about the last time you bought a house, right? Or a car, one of those two things, right? We all have experience buying a house or buying a car. Most likely you didn't buy a house that was equal to the house you're in now. Why would you box up all your stuff and your entire life and move to a new house? That's a huge pain. But here's the real takeaway. You would never buy a house that was downgrade unless you were forced out of desperation. You would never downgrade your house. Now take that concept to your employees. Nobody is going to line transfer from one job to another job for the same exact thing, for the same exact pay. Why would they go through all that work? And they're definitely not going to downgrade. Why would anybody downgrade their job unless they're desperate? And last I checked, my goal in life isn't hire the most desperate job seekers. Sure. That's not my goal. (laughs) Every job offer, and therefore meaning the ad, has to explain how this is an upgrade to a target audience. Mm -hmm. This is an upgrade for you. This is better than where you're at. So if you hate, that means I need to know why you hate where you're at now. So I can then 
position of my job as the solution to what you hate, to what you fear, what frustrates you, the solution of what your wants and aspirations are. This is just marketing 101 stuff of define your target segment, identify what their pains and wants are, create the solution to that. So if working at a big company, and this fits your users really well, think about all the reasons why people hate working at a big company. Red tape, approval. They only get to do this one little tiny job. They don't get to see it all the way through. Their boss doesn't understand what he's talking about because he's middle management. It's all about the metrics and data and it's unfeeling and uncaring. The boss doesn't understand the customer. Those are all the reasons, if you go read employee reviews, why people hate working for big companies. Your job as a small business owner is to be the opposite. Yeah. To be the answer. Well, we don't have red tape. Hey, you're reporting directly to the CEO. Hey, look, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to tell you to do something that I don't personally understand, which means it's really about you. So here's the real question. Why doesn't the ad talk about the entrepreneur? The entrepreneur is going to have a bigger impact on a team of 10 or 50 than the actual job is. Sure. It's going to have a huge impact on what their life is like working there. Almost no ads even ads for an assistant for an entrepreneur don't talk about what the entrepreneur's like, what it's like to work with them, what their personality's like, what their values are like, what they believe in, what they hate. It doesn't say anything about it. Yeah. Therefore, nobody will write a job ad that says it, but you write an ad because I've done it that talks about that. Everybody loves those ads. Sure. Because it's what they want to know. What's it going to be like working with this guy? Yeah, I think it's great. We could keep going with this. There's so much here that... I agree with you on, and I love hearing this. You talked about getting that ideal employee. You know, that's one of the things we do in our core fit profile. You talked about rewriting the job ad. That's something we teach in our program. There's so much alignments here, but we've got to wrap up. And so what I'd love to do is if people want to learn more about Applicant Pro, or, you know, I know you've got some videos out there. You've got some training as well. How do they get a hold of you? And do you have an offer for our listeners today? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, they can definitely go to applicantpro.com. There's a blog on there. We are very, very dedicated to pushing out valuable content all day long for free. That's not our goal. You know, my goal is that my marketing makes a bigger impact on the world than my product. What that means is I want people to learn how to do stuff and go use it without paying me. And they want to use my tools to amplify their results. Totally cool with that. I'm not going to put out a single piece of content that somebody can't go take action and get value out of without giving me money because that's just not where I'm at. So you can go hit up our blog on African Pro. You can, if you use LinkedIn, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I believe that African Pro has a Facebook page. You can follow there as well. So as far as on receiving the content, right, that is really, really valuable. As far as like what it looks like from a small business owner, for the most part, we try to be more helpful than just do it yourself. And, and that's really, I know the same thing and why we have so much alignment around it, right? Is that we believe that the system's only as good as what you put in it. The, your results are only as good as your ads. They're not going to do anything else. And you guys have a job ad template too that people can download, right? Yeah, job ad templates. If people sign up, I'm actually more than willing to even write some free job ads. As long as I have one requirement on giving away, I give away free job ads anytime I speak anywhere. So more than happy to give your listeners a free job ad. I have one requirement. I will not write job ads that you will not post. So that's the only commitment I want is you'll actually post it and try it out. Yeah. Because what I can guarantee is it's going to look different than anything you're using now or anything you're used to. And so then people don't post it. 
and they just never see the results. So we're more than happy to write some free job ads for your listeners for sure. Cool. Cool. Well, I'll have them reach out for that. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. I know we could keep going. We'll have to do this again sometime. For those of you that were listening here, the top two takeaways, I just want to repeat them again. One, get that job ad out there. Stop thinking about this as an HR document. Make it an ad, really attract people to your jobs and then create a hiring and screening framework. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Have a system in place. This isn't a situation where you wing it. You would never wing your marketing. So don't wing your recruiting and and don't give this to the least experienced person because they have more time for it. I personally believe that as owners, we need to be investing at least 30% of our waking hours that we are working in the business, working on recruiting. So this isn't something that we can just discount and say, we'll get to it when we get to it. It's something we really need to put an effort into, especially if we want to change that paradigm that Ryan was talking about. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Anytime. I hope to be back in the future. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by BlueCollarCulture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to BlueCollarCulture.com.